And as, as you're turning to Psalm chapter 15, I want to remind you that we are in the midst of this sermon series called 9 to 5. And I hope it's been an encouragement to you. I think it's, it's been a re- reminder for each and every one of us, the importance of work in our life and the importance of what God has given to us. And, and as you look past down through your days of working and in your career, whether you're still working or whether you've been retired for however long, I think that we all can look back over our working years and remember those interviews at those jobs that we really wanted. You ever, did you ever have an interview at a workplace that you just desperately wanted that job, but maybe as you sat through the interview and answered questions, maybe your answers didn't reflect how you really felt and didn't maybe award you the job? Well, just so you know, I've had those moments where I sat through interviews and it didn't go quite as I had planned. In fact, there's a few of these responses and illustrations that I want to read to you. A man went in for that kind of an interview where he desperately wanted the job that was in front of him. And the employer simply said, hey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? To which the interviewee responded, I'd rather not. I really, really want this job. <clears throat> Probably didn't answer that question the right way. Another guy went in for an interview for a position and they asked him, so why do you want this job? To which the interviewee answered, well, I've always been really passionate about not starving to death. Maybe not the best answer to give at an interview. You know, another lady went into an interview and the committee asked one of those standard kind of break the ice type of questions. And they said, hey, where do you see yourself in five years? And the lady responded saying this, Um, I would say that my biggest weakness is listening. Give it a moment. (laughs) Give it a moment. Where do you see yourself in five years? I think my biggest weakness is listening. Um, And then lastly, this one guy, he goes through the whole interview process. He answers all the questions and the interview is going glowingly. And he gets to the point where they're actually ready to offer him a package. And he bombs it at the very end. And they they basically tell him that, listen, the starting salary of this job is $40,000. But later it goes up to $80,000. And he says, well, then I'll start later then. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes we don't always get the job and we don't always impress and we don't always say the right things. But work it's kind of a funny thing, isn't it? It's one of those things where we have to do it to get through our days. And, and hopefully by now you realize and you understand that work was never given to us as a punishment. It was never meant to be a curse. In fact, from the very beginning of God's revelation to us in his word, Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 tells us that work was meant to be meaningful. Work was meant to be meaningful from the very beginning because Genesis 2 tells us the Lord took, the Lord God took the man and he put him intentionally, placed him into the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so I want you to understand, however you're reflecting on your working years or wherever you're at in your current career right now, that work was never meant and it was never intended to be a curse. It was only after Adam and Eve fell that work went from being a life-giving assignment or life-giving assignments to be soul-sucking struggles. But each and every one of us, as the joke went earlier, each and every one of us have an aversion to starving to death, and so we work, and we suffer through sometimes. And I understand that not everybody has the same approach to work, but I want, I want to talk this morning not just about the importance and the meaning of work, but the importance of integrity. 
at work. And so we want to work with integrity as believers, as followers of Christ. And so before we get into our message, I want to turn us to Psalm chapter 15. And I want to look to a passage of scripture written by a man who walked with God. A man who walked with integrity. In fact, we know David to be a man after God's own heart. And this is what he said it looked like to dwell in the house of the Lord, to sojourn with God, to be a people that are blameless and holy. And so I thought we would start by reading Psalm 15 and just reading that whole chapter. It's five short verses. David said this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does, and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a, a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. These are encouraging words from the psalmist David who is talking about what it looks like to live a life of holiness, to live a life of righteousness, to live a life of character and integrity and to walk with God. And we want to be this kind of people today as we go through our days of work, as we go through our days of living, of walking with integrity. Because this integrity thing, obviously we want to have it in the workplace. But we also know that we want to have it in every area of our lives. We want to live blamelessly and walk before God in a holy and righteous fashion. And uh, man, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. You know, the, the, the sad reality is, is that in our culture, in our society, in our country right now, the very foundations of what we're all about are starting to crack. We're starting to waver, we're starting to shake, and we're starting to look this way and the left, and and this way and that way, and it's just really tragic, it's really unfortunate that we are, are going the direction that we're going as a nation, and I believe it's because we're taking our eyes off of God. It was, I believe it's because we're not living lives of integrity. And so, here we are, we're going to talk about integrity this morning, and we're going to talk about integrity and, and how it is to walk in it while we're in the world and while we're in the workplace. And I think it's kind of sad that we have to illustrate or explain or define what integrity is. But I think because we live in a world full of corruption, we live in a world full of compromise, um, that we look around us and it's hard to find godly examples of integrity. And so I think I, I want to explain what that is. We're surrounded by a world full of people that say, I have to do what I have to do to get ahead. I'll answer for it later. Have you ever thought that to yourself? Well, I'll just answer for it later. I got to tell you, I've not always been the greatest model of integrity in my own life. When I was 18 years old, I went off to Bible college and all I ever wanted to be was a youth pastor. And I get to Bible college and, and like many of you who maybe went to college, I had professors that would, they would assign insane amounts of reading every week. And it was nearly impossible to complete all of the reading, all of the homework, all of the studying for future quizzes and tests, have a social life work a part-time or a full-time job, all of these expectations that are on you while you're in college learning how to become an adult, 
But they would give insane amounts of reading to each and every ministry student. And to me, I did not go to college to be a scholar. I went to college to be a youth pastor. And in my head, the two were very different things, right? And so, you know, I really struggled with this. And I have to be honest with you, there were times where they would pass around sheets of paper every week and you would have to sign on your Christian honor that you did or did not do the reading. And this might be hard for some of you to believe, but there were more than one or two times where I signed that piece of paper thinking to myself, I'll have to answer for this later. And I know many of you have heard my sermons over the last several months and you might be thinking to yourself, Chris, you probably should have done more reading back then. In some ways, maybe I'm answering for it later right now. But the reality is, is that we all struggle for integrity. It doesn't come easy to many of us. But by the grace of God, hopefully we can be people of high character as we grow in Christ, as we're discipled. But in order to understand what integrity is, I think that first we have to explain maybe what integrity is not. And I want you to know this, that integrity is not a life of perfection. Because we know that Jesus was the only perfect human being that ever walked in this earth. And so if perfection was the prerequisite to live a life of integrity, none of us would ever be able to measure up to that standard. And so perfection is not the expectation because every one of us are hypocritical. Have you ever heard a person that's either a Christian or a non-Christian say, well, I don't go to that church because it's full of hypocrites? Guess what? Look to your right, look to your left. Is full of hypocrites. Is, are, are we not a bunch of hypocrites in some ways? Because we all struggle for integrity and we all compromise at times. And hopefully as we grow in Christ, we compromise less and less and we walk more blamelessly and more holy as we grow in the Lord. But the reality is, is that there are a bunch of hypocrites in the church. And it, you know, if, if the church didn't allow hypocrites into it, then none of us would be welcome to attend because every one of us make compromises in some way, unless your name is Pastor Dave Vance. He is nearly perfect. I joke with people that it's in my contract that I have to say that, but uh, no, I'm kidding, obviously. Pastor Dave is a godly man, but even he is not a perfect man. Even he struggles, I'm sure, with compromise and integrity at times. And so integrity is, first of all, it's, it means not having to live a perfect life. But what integrity is, is it's an integrated life. Integrity is an integrated life. And that means that we live lives that are whole and that are not compartmentalized, but they're consistent. You see, it's very easy to live a life of compartmentalization, isn't it? Well, I have this spiritual compartment, and then I have this private life compartment, then I have this professional life compartment, and then I have this family compartment, and then I have this social compartment, and I, I got to make sure that these compartments don't cross over because I got to keep a, a certain reputation in my family, and I don't want my family to know what I do in my private life, and in my private life, I have to keep that compartmentalized because I don't want my work people to know what I do in that life, and in my work life, I don't know. I don't want my social friends to know how I've compartmentalized my life in that area. And so it's very easy to start compartmentalizing different portions of our life. But that's not what God has called us to do. And so what we end up doing when we compartmentalize is we morph into whatever is needed to find success in that area of life. Have you ever imagined a chameleon in a bag of Skittles? 
Think about that. A chameleon is confused in a bag of Skittles candy because it doesn't know what color it's supposed to be. And when we compartmentalize and we become something in the different sections or areas of our lives, we become confused and our true selves never truly come out and they're never truly revealed. And the unfortunate thing is that in the workplace, this is one of the easiest places to live a compartmentalized life because we spend 8 to 12 hours a day on the clock trying to please, trying to perform in order to gain promotion. And it's really easy to compromise our integrity when all we care about is a promotion or a paycheck. Man, I don't know how many of you have ever thought to yourself, you know what, I think I'll have to just answer for this later. And we've compartmentalized and we've made compromises and we've taken the convenient way out because we've just determined that we'll, we'll answer for it later. But, you know, people of integrity, they live a consistent life where Jesus invades every area. And it means that your behavior matches your belief. Now, we're all faced with moments in life, whether it's in the home, whether it's socially, whether it's in the church, or whether it's in the workplace where we have to make hard decisions. We're all faced with moments where we can compromise, and that decision that we make in that moment of difficulty, in that moment of pressure, is oftentimes a reflection of the character of God within us. It's a reflection of the character of our heart. And this week, I want to invite you now to turn to Daniel chapter 1. This week, I was reading through Daniel in my personal devotions, and I was reminded afresh and anew, it was almost as if I read this story for the very first time all over again. You ever done that with God's word, where you've heard a story maybe dozens of times, maybe you've read it dozens of times, and it's just so familiar to you, but then you open God's word and you read it, and it's almost as if it hits you across the face like you've never read it before. Folks, God's word is living and active, and it's powerful, and it has the potential, it has the power to change us every time we crack it open. And that's exactly what happened to me this past week. As I was thinking about integrity at work, I was reading through the life of Daniel, and it was almost as if I had never read this story before. And I was reminded of how much integrity Daniel had in his life, and specifically in his workplace. And what we know about Daniel is that he never compartmentalized his faith. And as I considered his story of the early years of his professional life, I was reminded of how much integrity he and his three friends had and how the principles we can gain and we can glean from his story apply to us 2,000, over 2,000 years later. So I want to look to Daniel as a portrait of integrity, and I want to read through the early part of his story, the early part of his life in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read the first eight verses, and then we're going to glean some truth from this and some application from the life of Daniel starting in these first eight verses. Daniel 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, uh, his chief eunuch, to to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish or of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. 
The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that the king drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Now focus on verse 8. It says this, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Daniel was a young man of conviction, and he resolved early on in his life not to defile himself, not to compromise or compartmentalize his faith and his convictions that he had from his God. And so the first thing that I notice in this passage of Scripture and the example of Daniel is that he predetermined restraint in areas of compromise. He predetermined restraint in areas of possible compromise. And so here's Daniel. He's a young man. And by young man, I'm saying he's probably in his middle teenage years. Maybe he's 14, maybe he's 15 or 16, or maybe as old as 17. He's taken into Babylonian captivity, and he's, he's placed into this re-education program. Now, this program is for the wealthiest, it's for the healthiest, it's for the smartest, it's for the handsomest, it's for all of the ists that you can think of, right? Healthiest, handsomest, smartest, competentists. That's not even a word. Yeah. I really should have read more in college, you guys. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he was, he was in this program to develop. They were developing leaders in the workplace and in the culture. And so here was the thinking. Here was the genius behind Nebuchadnezzar's plan. If the king could give these teenagers position and popularity while at the same time erasing their Jewish identity by introducing them to the progressive pleasures of Babylon, then the other Jews would most likely just fall in line. So what we have here is indoctrination by assimilation. Anybody feel like this is familiar in our day today with our public schools, where they're indoctrinating children to think certain ways and basically just assimilate into our expectations and assimilate into our worldview and into our convictions, and then you will leave behind your Christian faith. Man, we see this all throughout history. And it, it, honestly, it's a brilliant move on Nebuchadnezzar's part. He's been, um, man, he, he did this with, with these young youth from Judah. And it's been replicated time and time and time again all throughout history. But Daniel's different. Daniel's different than the crowd. He doesn't fall in line with everybody else. He was a kid with conviction. And he practiced restraint. He determined not to defile himself with the pleasures of Babylon. He said, I will not defile myself with the king's meat. I will not defile myself with the king's wine. And he made a plan of action ahead of time to fight the temptation to stay faithful to God before the heat of compromise was ever turned up. Now listen, I was a youth pastor for nearly 20 years. So I worked with teenagers that were coming into their dating years. And the one thing I would always preach and teach to teenagers is, have a plan of action. Have a plan for purity before you ever start dating. Because if you wait until the heat of that moment, most likely you will not be able to reject it. You will not be able to walk away from it. Most people, teenagers or adults and anyone in between, kids, you know, all of this, most of us, we don't have a plan of action 
when compromise is presented to us. Most of us don't have a predetermined restraint in many areas of our lives. And so whenever we're faced with decisions, we don't know what to do. And so sometimes, oftentimes, we end up compromising. You know, for many of us, when we get out of the, out of the bed in the morning and we put our feet on the floor, instead of putting our feet on the floor with that kind of an attitude, we need to have the attitude of let's put our boots on the ground. Because there is an enemy that is out there that is shooting fiery darts of temptation and compromise at us every day. And this world that we walk in every day and we live in every day is a battleground. And one of the most dangerous things for us today, folks, is for us to live with an attitude that we live in peacetime Christianity. Because there's no such thing as peacetime Christianity. We live every day in a battlefield for our hearts and for our souls and for our futures. And so here's Daniel. He's in a culture... He's in a cultural and a spiritual war, and he had a conviction in his heart that he would not assimilate to the pressures of the workplace. Now imagine how difficult this must have been. He's just a kid, right? He's, he's a foreigner. He's an outsider. He's just a youth that is easily like persuaded, and he's easily tempted, and he's been pulled away from everything that was familiar to him back in Judah. And they were saying, hey, here's the best that the world has to offer. We want you to just receive all of these things with gladness. And they really, what they wanted to do was assimilate him into Babylonian thinking and to remove his Jewish, uh, his Jewish influence. But David said, you know what? I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to believe those lies. I'm going to believe God instead of buying into the lies that living this way against God's ways will actually better me or will actually further me. And so Daniel lived by a different commission and a different conviction. Daniel never waved because he believed God more than the pleasures that were offered to him. Folks, being a person of integrity in a world of compromise takes a God-given courage to say ahead of time, I'm not going to go the world's way in order to gain success in my career and in my life and with those that are around me. I'm going to go God's way. And I've predetermined that I am going to abstain from this and I'm going to stay away from that and I'm going to avoid this and I'm going to reject that in order to please God and to live a life of integrity. And I want you to remember one thing, and this might be something that you can write down in your programs right now. Folks, it is always easier to retain your character than it is to recover it. It's always easier to retain your character than it is to recover it. So that's what Daniel did. He predetermined ahead of time so that he did not have to compartmentalize his faith and he did not have to sacrifice um, his convictions. The second thing that I noticed from this passage of scripture is that Daniel offers respect to those in authority. He understood his place. He knew he was just a teenager, but he also knew that God had called him to something greater, that God had a unique calling and and a, a unique path for his life. And he had a disagreement with those that were in power, those that were in rule, but he still showed respect. He offered respect to those who were in authority. Daniel's a devoted Jew. He's showing restraint in his life in the workplace. He's working for a pagan employer in the office of a pagan king who worshiped a pagan God. He was completely surrounded by a pagan culture. That was everything that went against what he was raised to believe. And here's Nebuchadnezzar as the king. He has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, he has a dream. And this dream is very troubling to him. 
And he doesn't know what it means. And so he has wise men, he has magicians, he has soothsayers, and he, he summons them. He summons the best of the best to his, to his throne room, and he says, listen, somebody needs to tell me not only what the interpretation of this dream was or is, but you also need to tell me what dream I had. He puts his wise men and his magicians in an almost impossible situation, saying, you need to tell me what the dream was and tell me what the interpretation was. Well, obviously none of them could do that because that's an impossible task. And the threat was, is that if they could not do it, then Nebuchadnezzar would have each and every one of them, one of them torn limb from limb. They and their entire households would be completely destroyed. Well, this affects Daniel. It affects Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well. And so here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's a ruler. He's trying to gain results through intimidation tactics. And some of you have worked for those kind of leaders, haven't you? And I say leaders very loosely. You've worked for those kind of leaders who use fear in order to motivate. They use fear in order to get ahead. And they call themselves leaders. But the the fact of the matter is, is that intimidation may gain temporary results, but it rarely produces long-term respect. And here's Daniel. Daniel knew that his ultimate leader was not a flawed king of a temporary kingdom named Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that his ultimate leader was the everlasting king of the universe whose kingdom and reign would never end. Daniel had a respect and authority for, or he had a respect for the authority in his life that was Jehovah. It was Adonai, but he also respected those who were directly over him. And I want to turn your attention to Daniel chapter 2. Verses 20 through 23, as we go a little bit further into his story, we see Daniel's approach to this impossible situation that he and his contemporaries are put in, having to interpret the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 20 of chapter 2 says, Daniel answered and said this, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Verse 23, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us. The king's matter. So here is Daniel. Before he ever goes to the king, he seeks God. He pursues God and says, God, will you give me the dream? Will you give me the interpretation? He seeks out the the Lord's wisdom in this situation. The Lord gives him the interpretation. And then he, he just prays a prayer of thanksgiving. Daniel starts everything he does with integrity and with prayer. And then he moves on and he, he starts to Uh, work out his plan. And so he prays to God to intervene. He then goes to the executioner. He asks for an audience with King Nebuchadnezzar so that he can provide an interpretation to save himself and his contemporaries. And I love, I love Daniel's approach because he, once again, he starts with prayer, but then once he approaches the king, he doesn't approach him with disrespect, hoping that, that King Nebuchadnezzar would find his demise. No, he approaches him, he approaches him with regard and respect. He keeps in mind what Jeremiah had said years ago to those people from Judah that were going into Babylonian exile. In fact, I want to read from Jeremiah chapter 29. I want to read verse 4. Just follow along with me. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah is saying, hey, this is you, Daniel. I'm talking to you right in this moment. And Daniel is remembering this all of these, uh, these months or years later. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. I love this, these verses because what Jeremiah is saying, what God is saying to the people of Judah is I'm sending you to Babylon. You might as well get comfortable there because you're not going there for a weekend getaway. You're going to be there a while. And so you might as well give your best effort, whatever you put your hands to, do it wholeheartedly and do it with integrity and do it for the sake of the city and and support its welfare. Even though you're foreigners, even though you have a different worldview, that's what people of integrity do. And Daniel knew that God had placed the people of Judah in exile for a reason. And Daniel understood at this moment as a teenager that he had a very specific and unique call and position in his life to make a difference for his people. He knew that he should live righteously among the wicked, that he should contend for their success and for the welfare of the city. And that meant offering respect, even if the people that he was offering to it to, even if the people that were his uh, bosses, the people that were his authorities and his, his um, superiors, even if they had a different view on the world, even if they served a different God, Daniel understood that he needed to offer respect. Let's look at Daniel 2, moving on to verse 37 and verse 38. This is what Daniel does, and I love this as well. It says, you, O king, this is Daniel's response, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, making you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. This is Daniel's approach. He shows respect to Nebuchadnezzar, even though he may not see eye to eye with him. And he's about to reveal this great mystery, right? He's about to give the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And what we now understand all of these years later is that the interpretation of that dream was that he was going to tell Nebuchadnezzar that the demise of his kingdom was not far off. And that his kingdom was going to be overtaken and destroyed. And it was going to change the entire course of world history. And Daniel, in the midst of that, is a man of integrity and shows respect for his leader. And when Daniel respectfully served his employer, he gained respect in return. His integrity won out even though he predicted the the destruction of this Babylonian empire. Which leads me to my third observation. He received the reward of his faithful witness. So Daniel shows predetermined restraint. He then offers respect to the authorities. And because he does these things and he never compartmentalizes his integrity, he never, uh, uh, he never compromises his convictions. He then receives the reward of a faithful witness. Look down to chapter 2, verse 46 through 48. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. 
Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many gifts and made him ruler over the the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. This is how it played out for Daniel. He offered respect. He offered up an interpretation that was directly from God and Daniel gets rewarded for his faithful witness for his integrity without ever compromising what he stood for. He had a stellar reputation that lined up with his character in the workplace among the pagans, among the unbelievers. He had a reputation and he had a character. Do you guys know what the difference is between a reputation and a character? Richard Bach once said this. He wrote this. He said, a reputation is what people think you are. Character is who you really are. Take care of your character and your reputation will take care of itself. And here's the sad thing for for many Christians is that we're more worried about what people think about us than we are walking blamelessly. We're more worried about success and advancement than we are walking in integrity. We're more worried about getting ahead than we are walking and sojourning with God, being above reproach and living a holy life. But here's Daniel setting the example. He's a portrait of integrity for us. He protected his integrity throughout this whole process and God brought him the favor. And I love, if we turn back to Daniel chapter one, I love what verse nine shows us because he predetermined that he was not going to defile himself and that he was gonna be a man of integrity. This is God's response in verse nine of chapter one. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel receives favor from God because of his faithful witness. Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. I want to I read this passage of scripture to you as well. Verse 12. It says this. I love this verse. I just came across it literally this morning. But it says this. You, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. The Lord is the one that blesses the righteous. The Lord is the one that brings the favor. The Lord is the one that brings the reward. The Lord is the one who sees our faithful witness and our walk in the world and says, I choose to bless you. I choose to bring favor to you. You know, I married, um, just as an illustration, I share a lot of stories about my family. I love to talk about my wife. She's such a bragging point for me. Like I, I, And I don't brag necessarily on her. I brag on what the Lord does through her. But I married a woman with a lot of integrity. And I'm so grateful that her character matches her reputation. You see, about three months ago, four months ago, she got a brand new job. And this job was kind of offered to her out of the blue. She interviewed for it, and it gave her a chance to make more money. It gave her a chance to begin working from home. She had no background. She had no training. She had no education in this field or in this career path. But the owner of the company knew my wife and knew the kind of person that she portrayed herself to be and said, I want that kind of person on my team. So they offer her a job, and it was a really good kind of promotion for her. And so she gets, she gets through the whole interview process. They offer her the job, and she agrees to a set amount of salary per year. And it was, it was very fair. It was very, actually, I, I would say it was very, we felt very blessed with the amount of salary that they offered to her. Well, she gets her formal offer sheet, and she realizes that on the offer sheet, they offered her $1,000 less than what was agreed upon in the interview. So she does what any of us would do. She politely and respectfully 
um, calls them up and says, hey, listen, I just want you to know, I just saw my offer sheet, and it looks like it's $1,000 less than what we agreed upon. Well, they were extremely apologetic, and they, they respond like, hey, we're going to make this right. We did not mean to short you $1,000 a year. We want to make this thing right. And so the next day, they correct the offer sheet, and they send her the offer sheet via email. She reads through that offer sheet, and then she realizes Goodness gracious, now they're giving me $1,000 too much. They're giving me more money than what we originally agreed upon. And at that moment, I'm just like, Becky, you need to take this money. Don't say anything, you know? I'm thinking that in my head. And I'm like, listen, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, this is their mistake. And this is starting to get old. They can't seem to get this right. So maybe you just need to keep your mouth shut. Maybe you don't say anything. Or maybe this is just the favor of God raining down upon us. I didn't say those things, but I was thinking them in my head like, hey, this is a free $1,000 if we don't say anything. Well, that's not the kind of woman that she is. So she calls them up a a, a second time and says, hey, I just want to let you know, now you've offered me $1,000 too much. I just want to be on the up and up on this. And this is the text that she gets in response to that situation. They said to her, this is the COO of the company says to her, Becky, thanks for letting us know. We're just going to give you the extra $1,000 a year. I just thought that was super cool. Like, my wife does the right thing. She shows integrity. She shows character. It lined up with her reputation. And the woman gets a raise on the job before she ever even started her first day of work. Sometimes God brings favor because we walk with integrity. And I'm certainly not saying that that's the way it happens every time. But I've heard this saying recently. When you have integrity, nothing else matters. When you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. Integrity, folks, is that important. How you treat your coworkers, how you treat your neighbors, how you respond to your boss, how you approach your work tasks and responsibilities, how you react under pressure, how you represent your faith out in the world, they all contribute to your reputation. But more importantly, The way you live your life and when you walk in integrity, it reflects the God that you say you serve. And it shows your character. Daniel climbs his way all the way to the top from being a teenage slave. He becomes a national leader in the the empire of Babylon. And he gets this influence, he gets this power, and it was in part because of his ability and his talent and all of his handsomeness and all of his wealthiness and all of his education and his smarts, all those is that we talked about earlier. He certainly had all of those things, but it was just as much because of his character. Folks, your talent may get you to the top, but only your integrity will keep you there. Because there were a lot of people that were trying to bring Daniel down. We see in Daniel chapter 6 that there were a lot of people that were right directly under Daniel that were tired of his witness. They were tired of the way he lived his life. They were tired of how much power he had. And they tried to bring him down. And what we realize in Daniel chapter 6 is that they couldn't do it. They had to make up reasons to find fault in Daniel because he was a man of integrity. Daniel was made ruler of the entire empire of Babylon. But more importantly in all of this was not his power. It was not his position. It was not his paycheck. It was the character of God that was revealed through him. Folks, Daniel's contribution and his character in the workplace was of the highest uh, reputation. 
And I want to let you know that as you go into the world, this could be your contribution in the world. You could be, as believers in Jesus Christ, you could be men and women that walk with integrity. And the world, all they want to do is bring you down because they find, they, they find your way to be offensive to them. The God that you serve, the, the Jesus that you walk with, they find it to be offensive to them. But the reality is, is that if you walk with integrity, they probably have to make up reasons to find fault with you. Man, let's be this kind of people. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Proverbs 28 verse 6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in integrity than a rich man who is crooked in all of his ways. Here's the reality, folks. The reality is this, we don't always get the prize. We don't always receive the promotion. We don't always have the power. It doesn't always work out that way. And God may not reward you with zeros on your paycheck or plaques on the wall or nameplates on your door, but he rewards us in eternity when we walk with integrity. Matthew chapter 16, verse 20 says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Folks, are you laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven by the way that you live, by the way that you walk, by the way that you work? And as I, as I think about these things in this final challenge, I want to leave you with two verses. And I think this is a, a good closing prayer maybe that each and every one of us could use to evaluate how we are walking with the Lord. Are we walking blamelessly? And this is what David cried out to God in Psalm 139, verse 23. He said this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe that's where we need to be at today as we consider our lives, as we evaluate our rhythms and our patterns and our habits and our reputations God, we need you to search us. We need you to search our hearts. We need you to reveal to us the ways that we are not measuring up, the ways that we are hypocritical, the ways that we are bringing reproach to your name or disrespecting him. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father.